Welcome back to Wrong Opinions Only with your hosts Justin and Kayla, and we are back with a movie review week this, Kayla, and a prep. I've watched about eight, nine, ten hours of movies. I'm so excited. What are we talking about? Wow. Um. Yeah, easy to do with how much we love films, and this movie review podcast is going to be about best picture nominations so we are winners i should say so we had to give each other a film of course the other hasn't seen but it had to have won best picture at some point in oscar history which as you know we love the oscars so i found this to be a pretty fun pick that you got justin because there were a lot of movies some i've i've seen and loved some i didn't some i've never managed to see so how how much did you enjoy or maybe not enjoy looking through those movies to decide what to give me? Yeah, this was one of the more fun ones we've had in our drawing out of the hat for movie themes because we both like the Oscars, but it's tough to see all the Oscar movies every year. And especially in past years before we had access to all the streaming and everything, it was more difficult. So having the ability to kind of look through all the winners, see which ones you have already seen or not seen, and then kind of align it with stuff that I either want to rewatch or watch for the first time was fun. And, you know, we're able to kind of give ourselves some really highly acclaimed classic movies that we just hadn't had the chance to see yet. So I, it was a fun. Week I completely me. agree. I, I found myself with a few different picks for you and I was just like, you can't really lose on some of these. There's so many, obviously highly celebrated films. They won Oscars. Um, and I think that leads right into my next question, which is what does winning best picture mean to you? I mean, oftentimes you get that best picture win and all of a sudden the DVDs come out saying, you know, best picture, all of that. What does that tagline kind of mean to you when a movie says that? Like, does that matter to you? Do you feel like the best picture winners of the past, like are hit or miss? Do you find that to be pretty accurate? Well, I think it carries quite a big gravitas towards it because it brings in a lot more viewers that are more casual and not following the Oscar race. So it immediately bumps it up the hierarchy right there. I don't think it's always the most accurate, but it is a good representation of what like worldwide, globally, people that are at the height of the profession really enjoyed that year. So it gives you a good range. And I think they've been getting better the last few years at really uh, highlighting movies that all moviegoers can enjoy and less of the, you know, the really artistic ones that are for more of the niche watchers, you know? I completely agree. Um, I think that oftentimes context is kind of lost when we talk about best picture. We're just looking at the film solely and in some ways we should, but also it's when the movie came out um that matters and i i think even back to last year with um or two years ago now with coda winning it was such a like coda one best picture we obviously were rooting for it um but it's like the time that a feel-good movie with like diversity way we haven't seen too much with you know deaf actors deaf characters was like something that was so like wow you know, there were so many elements to it beyond just the film itself, which we really enjoyed. So it was funny seeing some of these movies and the context of when they came out, you know, the war, the platoons, the, you know, different films like that. And, and knowing that it, it also the time period they're taking place, they're being watched matters a lot, too. When I see Best Picture, I mean, I feel like like you, I've gotten more into it, you know, in the past few years. Um as far as trying to watch every film, it, especially in your, you don't live in like an LA or New York city. It can be very hard to see these films pretty close to when the Oscars are out sometimes um, trying to get to them. So 
Uh, yeah, it it does mean something to me. However, you could see a best picture. I'm sure we saw a lot in the list, and we were like, oh no, I look at no thank you there. So, um, it just depends. But to me, it still has value having that Oscar and that best picture. You know. Yeah, and it it is funny to be able to look back at previous years and. You know, Bill Simmons talks about this on some of his podcasts, right? When you look back at Oscars like 10 years later, it's like a time capsule of what was happening in that time. But it's not always the best movie. It's just at that moment, what really grabbed audiences the most? Because you can look back and be like, how the hell did that win over a great? Or how did this major actor not win for this awesome performance in this movie? Everybody forgot about six months after it was released, took home the hardware. And one thing you have to mention with the Oscar races, which we do when we do our Oscar pods every year, a lot of this, like, they really work to get these nominations and to get these wins. They put in the effort. It's like a whole road show. They, if the actors and the writers aren't all in it together to promote, to get in the Oscar race, then you're not going to win. It's kind of like a kissing babies, like political game that counts for at least half of this. And if uh, you have people that aren't interested in that side of it, and they're just interested in doing good work, that's probably going to hurt them when it comes to award season. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a machine, as Hollywood's often described as. So sometimes it's the money that's behind you. It's the publicity that's behind you. When you have actors that are just reluctant to be out there, um, sometimes bad press is good press. Look at Don't Worry Darling somehow. Um, you know, so sometimes that, that aids in all of that. But I don't know. I just find that even the quieter films that you're just kind of like, you know, Mm, I don't, you know, it's not a huge film. It's an indie film. It's a low budget, make their way through. And I think as we get maybe a broader audience and broader way of people who are able to vote, that's going to kind of shine through in the film. So I think more and more we're going to see a lot of the, you know, films that are had a choir kind of release, getting that focus, that attention. So we'll see looking forward. Let's get into our films because I'm sure we have a lot to discuss on them. So you gave me The Godfather Part 1, which is available on Paramount+. And I assigned you Parasite, which is available on Max. So Justin, why don't you start? Why did you assign The Godfather Part 1 to me? Because you haven't seen it. And frankly, when I was looking at this, I was like, I don't know if I've ever watched The Godfather straight through. I've seen scenes here and there, but I I don't think I've ever watched them fully. So me giving this to you also gave me the opportunity to go back and watch The Godfather. And I checked to make sure one and two were on streaming so that I can uh, watch both of them in pretty quick succession. So the media wants me to think that you would be an exception and that all guys love the Godfather and quota all the time. We just saw Barbie as we talked about in Barbenheimer episode and they're referencing. Yep. Um, I actually just watched you've got mail for the first time and Tom Hanks character it. talks about the Godfather. Like that's his thing is he makes these quotes and she's like, does everyone love the Godfather? So I just found it so funny that having watched the film that, it, there it was in another film being referenced, which I think speaks to the power of the Godfather. I gave you Parasite because it's a movie that I somehow didn't manage to watch during the Oscar race. I think I was behind like two or three films that year. And of course had the most dramatic reveal of its best picture win. So I, yeah, I was super excited to watch it. I knew you kind of had an interest in it as well. And, uh, yeah, I was like, this is it. This is the time that we do it. So 
um, it was an easy pick for me. Yeah, I had that in my queue for a very long time. I've been wanting to watch it. And as somebody that is married with a wife, sometimes when you go to watch a movie, my wife is very specific about not wanting to watch any good movies, essentially. So slight exaggeration, <laughs> but it's tough to like be in a mental state, like long day, Friday night, let's watch this uh, Korean film that you have to pay attention to subtitles. I love subtitles anyway, so this isn't a big deal to me. I know that's not typically how you watch movies, so if you're not used to that, it's it's kind of a tough mental block to be like, I need to be fully engaged to watch this, and that's not my wife's cup of tea, so I had to find time to watch it without her, and this gave me the perfect opportunity to do so. I, too, like you, always watch things with subtitles, which sometimes annoys other people. But, like, I, I love the meme that has Velma where she's, like, from Scooby-Doo, like, searching for her glasses. And she's, like, she's like I can't see. I can't, you know, like, hear without my subtitle, like, without being able to see. Like, somehow it just helps you catch things and, and look ahead. Um, but this was one that, because it is an entirely different language, Korean, that you have to be paying attention you can't look down um which i think made it more interesting because you're so keyed in on it so yeah i was excited to talk about it why don't you go ahead and lead us on the parasite discussion all right parasite so 2019 best picture winner at the oscar Two hours, 12 minutes, director Bong Joon-ho, who is pretty acclaimed at this point. A lot of good films, including uh, Snowpiercer out there. Budget of a little over $11 million. Gross worldwide over $260 million. And Rotten Tomatoes score of 99. I don't think you can do much better than that, Kayla. And this, when this won Best Picture at the Oscars, it was a bit of a shift in how the Oscars are going. This the diversity of the voters is starting to come through and having a foreign film, a purely all Korean film win the Oscars was a big thing. So I was really excited to see this movie and it really did not disappoint. Parasite was a great film. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts as always. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Give us the deets. All right. A couple fun facts about Parasite. They shot the entire film in just over two months, about 77 days. The house that they used was a set completely built from scratch for the movie. And honestly, that's like an awesome house. That's that's the exact type of house that I would like to have at some point in my life, which is just super unrealistic. Uh, the film was originally conceived as a play and turned into a full-length uh, feature film, which is kind of cool. And the original title of the film was something I can't even pronounce the, uh, the decal Komani. So maybe that's a type of parasite. I don't know, but, uh, I think it's good that they just went with parasite Kayla, just my personal opinion. Uh, definitely easier to say. And I'm going to apologize in advance if I say any names wrong here, because everybody knows I just suck at saying any name and especially actors, actresses that I'm not as familiar with, uh, not going to be the greatest for me, but I'll give it my best shot. So you want to count me down, Kayla, for my uh, breakdown? I certainly do. Three, two, one. 
Korean family is going through rough times, living in a basement and doing whatever they can for food and money. The son referred to as Kevin gets a chance to tutor a rich kid despite never going to college himself. From there, Kevin and his family manipulate the naive and gullible rich family to get everybody jobs. Kevin is the tutor to his sister Jessica is an art therapy teacher. His dad becomes the driver and his mom becomes the housekeeper. Rich family doesn't realize they are all related. She hits the fan when the family is supposed to go camping for the weekend. The old housekeeper shows up to get something out of the basement. They find out that she's been hiding her husband down in a hidden bunker for over four years. The old housekeeper realizes all the new workers are related and blackmails them by taking a video on her phone. Fight breaks out. Family comes home early. Everybody hides and somehow doesn't get caught. Old housekeeper gets kicked down the stairs and tied up with her husband. Massive downpour. Poor family sneaks out of the house to get home. Asked to go back the next day for a birthday party for the son. Hidden husband finds a way to get out. Nearly kills Kevin, then kills Jessica. The mom stabs and kills him. And uh, the dad, Mr. Kim, kills the rich dad out of nowhere. Kevin and the mom face trial and get off on um, probation. But the dad disappears out of everywhere. And they find out that the house has been sold. And the dad is hiding in the basement like the other guy for the past couple of years. How was that? Close. You did it. 57 seconds. So a lot happens in this movie. First off, great fucking movie. I had a great time watching this. This was, it kind of kept me on my toes. It was anxiety riddling at points. It was funny at points. It was dramatic at points. And then shit just hits the fan. And that threw me for such a loop. I knew there was a turn at some point, but like, I wasn't thinking it was going to be a murderous brawl at a kid's birthday party. I'm like, holy shit. Everybody's just, I I was blown away by this film and so glad that you gave it to me, Kayla. Oh yeah, this movie was a trip and I laughed so hard at some scenes. Like just the way that this was filmed was so funny. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about our favorite moments, but when the husband in the basement, like they show that DeSong's like terrified of this ghost that was haunting the kitchen. And that's why he's, you know, so art focused and gets away with stuff. And they just show his head rising up the base. I was like, this is terrifying. I mean, it's, it was so well done. And the family was so believable because I go, Oh, this is a film. that's like this comedy of errors. It's just, you know, they're trying to one up this kind of gullible rich family. That's rude as hell and good for them but then it just swings so dark and it's commentary right about like um wealthy people poor people society all of that and it was so brilliantly like stated like it wasn't it was like the the juxtaposition of how their lives were led differently right and it just oh my god i loved it yeah it was such an examination of the class dynamics especially in south korea like you have this really wealthy family who has everything at their fingertips and they are at a certain point employing everybody of this uh, kind of poor family and don't, don't even realize that they all know each other. They just got completely scammed by them. But the way it was shot, the cinematography was absolutely beautiful. The setting was great. And then in the big scene, when they come home early, it's the downpour outside you have literally the poor family, the lower class in this situation, going down, like running downstairs in the rain through sewage water to go into their flooded basement that's full of sewage and water everywhere. They literally started at the mountaintop and then end up right where they started at the beginning in this just basement and having to stay in a gym with other unhoused people just to get through the night. And it just is like, wow, this is such a interesting dynamic of they really worked hard as a family to get up to that status. And then it just fell apart quickly. 
And th- maybe this is me. Maybe I'm the only person that feels this way. But justice for the rich family here. They deserve better. Like these asshole got Kayla's face right now. Like to a certain point, I get it. But did they really need to lie about every single thing? They couldn't be like, oh, hey, I think my sister could help here. Like, it has to be, oh, this is some person who went to University of Illinois and let's forge documents and bring my dad in and bring this person in. In my opinion, the Rich family, from what we saw, was very kind and nice to all of them majority of the time. The only situation, which is what I believe kind of built up in uh, Mr. Kim, the dad, was they'd occasionally be like, oh, there's like a a smell and they couldn't quite figure it out. And then when he was hiding under the table, the dad was like, yeah, there's, there's like a smell with him. It's kind of like a subway smell. Like, and he kept, you see him throughout the movie, keep sniffing himself. Like he doesn't realize it. Like he's lived in that situation for so long. It's probably not even noticeable to him or the family. And then when it comes up again, he just takes a knife and freaking goes and kills the guy. I'm like, what the hell? That The nicest dude on the planet in this movie just goes out of nowhere on a murderous rampage. I, so many things, Kayla. Uh, your rebuttal, because it looks like you're furious with what you I just You know what, said. Justin? It's a strong take to come out of a movie about you know class issues and be pro-rich people. But, you know, it's a stance you've taken. Um, and it checks out. So, yeah, I'm a... I, I mean, obviously, like, it, it's, like, a lifetime of struggle that Mr. Kim has had, and so, like, I really think, like, it was just, we're doing this huge scam, like, I'm kind of being treated one way with him, and then he just became this, like, center point for his rage of a lifetime of being abused by people in higher power. It's, like, kind of, so I agree, like, it maybe wasn't necessarily just him saying that line about laughing, or truly about him, about his smile. Um, yeah. And how they are like, and then I think also it was the party when he's being, he's like, I'm paying you. And he's kind of like making him play in his son's game as like, we're going to get attacked and like do this whole like clown kind of scenario. And he's like, but I'm paying you, you know, like your life, your pride, whatever is just like something I can, I can buy. And that's where his, his tone even compliments him in that scene where he starts to turn, you know, he's like, you try your hardest. Like, he sees that, but, you know, I don't know. You could say his punishment. Well, that know? I guess that's where, yeah, kind of what I meant is they, in my opinion, weren't intentionally nefarious. Like, they have the better means. They have this good lifestyle. And in their mind, it's, hey, we are paying them a good wage to help our kids, to help us around the house. And But you're right. That scene towards the end where the dad was kind of like, I'm paying you extra to be here, like basically do the job and stop bitching about it. That was a bit over the top, dude. Like, come on. And then when the mom like becomes the housekeeper and like the rich mom's like person, like just her demands were just so crazy to me. And it was like even calling her where she thought she was at her home. Right. Or like wherever, like resting. And she's like, actually, we want this food. We're going to be home in eight minutes. Like, it's just like, you know, kind of how they were treating them. I, I will say, and I, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but the family, like, okay, they scammed their way into this rich family to be hired, essentially, without 
them knowing that they were all actually related to each other. So each person, which I found to be really funny throughout the film, would see where they could plug in another family member and then just like offer it up as a, you know, like a suggestion. Hey, I know, you know, this kid in class that would be really good at being this art teacher. And then she would be like, oh, this guy I know is like a, you know, like genius how they kind of were able to fit each family member into their role. And they didn't, and the key was they didn't push it too hard, right? It was kind of like they would wait to be asked. And when, when they were asked, like, oh, I think I do know somebody. Here is a card. And then they, they really, the amount of effort they put into scamming this family, they probably could have gotten jobs elsewhere. Um, obviously this was like, it turned into like a family bonding experience for them. Like they were, seemed like they were really enjoying, it was almost like a game to them at a certain point where, or like a play, the dad's rehearsing lines that the son wrote at the house before they go in the next day. I think, you know, probably going over the line to, uh, start just dumping peaches on somebody who's allergic to peaches. That's, uh, that seems like a little bit much there. But pretty smart to just use the shavings and like dust her with it, so it's like not lethal, but does impact her. So they, they were a smart family. I don't understand how they got a. Well, I guess they do have a couple notes on how they got stuck where they were, where they've tried these different restaurants or ventures, and then they went bust. So they've probably taken out a lot of money to do that. They have a lot of debts to pay, and and as we find out with the guy who's been hiding in the bunker for four years underground. That, especially in South Korea, apparently, if you have all these debts and you take it from the wrong people, you're in a real bad spot. So you need to just hide and get out of Dodge. And how do you, oh, I guess if the uh, architect who built it was the one who lived there before selling the house, that is how they don't know about the uh, the hidden bunker. But you think that would be uncovered in, in inspection at some point, no? No, like, I don't know. Like, it was kind of, you had to, like, turn the mechanism behind the bookshelf to like kind of, and then you had to like, I mean, the, the former housekeeper was her whole body was trying to push open this bookcase that had gotten jammed. So, and then uh, you got to that, crank that's a good it. Point. Like it, wasn't it, easily it yeah. It, it was pretty well hidden. I, I mean, meant to be so, and especially like the whole joke about these people is that they're truly so gullible in that, like you said, they didn't have to do much to convince them to hire their family. So like, it was also because they just truly like were so oblivious to getting scammed. Right. And they were so anti-conflict that the wife had to make up excuses. So she was like, I do not want to have this confrontation about why I'm firing them. I'm not giving them just cause I'm just making up some bullshit. And they realized that's what they were doing. So they, it wasn't going to come back on them for recommending or pointing out something So, and even the wife at one point was just like, oh, well, I trust recommendations. Like I can't trust people I don't know, but if somebody that's been working for me well recommends somebody, I'm going to take their word at it. And once she says that, it's like, all right, well, this is going to turn into a whole family endeavor at this point. It was really amusing how that ended up working out. So I was a a fan of like that kind of slow climb of like how they were going to introduce the dad to come in, the sister, the mom. And I just want to say to the Kim's families, you know, good abilities. They weren't scamming them in lieu of like actually doing the job that they were hired to do. 
Um, I mean, the, I mean, the mom was like really, I mean, she had to set up all that stuff. She had to clean all that stuff, like for multiple days, you know, I will say a little sketchy with well, the son and the daughter, like tutoring. He was, that's the one I was going to say that he was tutoring her. I will say it started to get sketchy and it seemed like they were really doing art, the like son and the sister. So like, I, and he was driving, but the, the dad, sister, so. but the sister pulled out of her ass that the kid was uh, schizophrenic or something, right? Or what'd she say when, uh, oh, well, if he draws dark things in the bottom corner, that's a potential sign of, I don't know if it was schizophrenic, it was schizophrenic or something, yeah, like, something it was bad hilarious happened to him. Because the mom just immediately was like, oh, he drew that shape in this painting. And she's like, oh, yep, that's the sign. And basically, like, she was... Yeah, realized, she saw that painting yeah, earlier. Like she, and, listen, yeah. I'm not going to say it wasn't without, like, sinister reasons to get there. But when they were doing the job, they were doing the job. I mean, when this little boy was introduced, he was, like, just doing whatever the hell he wanted, destructing things. When she was with him, he was, like, calm, cool, collected, like, painting. So, I don't know. I know. I wish they would have showed a little bit more of, like, how she was able to control him like that or get him to respect her in a way. Because, yeah, that first time where she's, like, taking the stance of, I'm going to be the hard ass here. I'm not going to let the mother be in on this session. So she has autonomy on it. And then uh, she comes down the stairs and the kid is being well-behaved and doing his work at the table. And everybody's like, what is he was running around shooting arrows at people an hour ago and now he looks fine. So I'd like to see it maybe like one scene in there about her actually tutoring him. Cause every time they flash back to that later on, he's just sitting there like coloring on papers and everybody thinks he's a genius apparently. But. Oh yeah. That was very amusing. Especially like I said, when he, when you learn that it was like this, the ghost that he saw in the kitchen that kind of ruined him. I mean, just uh, there's so much comedy laced with like kind of actually sadness. I mean, but like you said, it, it was always the side of like, yeah, they were doing the job, but also like how they were able to do it was usually pretty bad. So, but I mean, Mr. Kim still had to drive yeah. them everywhere. Like, you know, they were doing, they, they scammed themselves in an uncouth way to get the jobs, but they were doing the jobs. And then of course, when they're like spending the, weekend there at the house while they know they're away you know that's just not great so but for me it took till then for me to be like, well and the daughter was like well for art therapy and teacher that's a really steep price so and i need to come twice as often and uh so it's those little things that they were like we're gonna push the boundaries here to see how much we can get away with and i wanted i personally wanted more information on the rich parents like why they were saying the wife is very simple Right. They're like, oh, she's she's very simple and naive. Why did something happen to her? Is she just kind of like lived in this rich lifestyle? So she's super gullible all the time. Like what's going on? Because when she's introduced, it's like the housekeepers out there yelling at her like somebody's here. Somebody's here. Like almost like she is mentally not stable. But then you don't really see that throughout the rest of the film unless I just miss some obvious takeaways. So what would you have wanted more to see of her, I guess? I just want, I want to like maybe know just a phrase or some type of scene, maybe when she's talking with the husband of, oh, she's seeing a therapist or, oh, this thing happened or, oh man, I hate being like the rich stay at home housewife. Something to get into her mental state of mind on why she is described as like simple and basically she's described as an idiot by everybody. But she doesn't seem that way in most of the film. 
Really interesting. I thought she totally was. Like, I mean, the fact that they're so easily able to manipulate her. And I will say the sister was my favorite. Like, her entrance into, like, I'm completely dominating oh, this conversation. And and it just got more and more absurd. But she totally, like, the mom was just so in it. was like, you know, you have the husband who is not oblivious, but is so on. Actually, no, actually, it's what he's more oblivious than dumb, I'd say. Like, he just is totally not even paying attention, and that's where he ends up getting screwed up. He's so busy yes. with, like, work that he only sees, like, the the edges of, like, the frayed ends here of, like, oh, something seems a little off here, but I'm not here enough to really put the pieces yeah, and, together. And the wife who's there daily just isn't figuring out, and that's what I don't understand. Like, she's there daily. Is she... Does she have some type of mental block? Does she have a mental disability? Is there is there something going I think, on? I here think you're giving that's... too much. Um, you're giving too much value and like a reason to why she is, and not accepting that. Like the joke of her character is that she just she's just this way. Like there's no. She's yeah, just she's able just to like live the, the live dumb kind of like oblivious housewife. Like that's the ki- that's the persona okay. she's locked in as, and that's how they're able to basically. I mean, they got the whole family in. It was so funny to me. Now, I got one thing I took a, a note on here, too, relating to the uh, the parents. Mr. Kim, which is the um, the lower class dad who ends up being the driver, he is talking to uh, to the rich guy a few times. And you hear from the rich guys like he he gets right up to that line, but he doesn't cross it and like. I got to give him credit for that. Like he's, he's doing well where he gets there and then he kind of pulls back. But a few times he goes, Oh, but you do love her, right? Like you do love her talking to the the rich guy about his wife. And he goes, yeah, of course I love her. But with the amount of times that he brings that up, I was almost thinking like he's trying to say that to the other dad to convince himself that he's still in love with his wife. Because the way his wife treats him is kind of the way the rich dad treats his wife, right? Where it's like, oh, do this, do this, kind of dismissive, like, I dominate this relationship. So he may have felt more in line with the wife in that situation. So he's looking for that justification of, oh, you still do love her, right? So, like, my wife still loves me, and I can still love and respect her. But then... And then it kind of like fades away. But I, I kind of just like that, that little tone that was carried throughout the film. I'm trying to think like what scenes where Mr. Kim with his wife, like, were you thinking of? Like the only thing that came to my mind is when he grabs her ass in the kitchen. <laughs> like they don't notice it. Like it's so funny to me. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. He was yeah. like, doo, 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 doo. like just yeah. jostling back there. But when, uh, in the beginning of the film, he's, kind of doing his own thing and the wife's just kind of berating him about stuff and he's just kind of brushing it off when they're at the house she she calls him like she's calling him shitty names and saying you're a cockroach like you wouldn't stand up for us and she kind of belittles him every so often and it just probably wears down and like that on top of hearing uh, how these other guys are referring to you is you know eventually what led him to just take out that knife and go apeshit 
That scene was so intense, that birthday party scene, where it just, like, shit hit the fan. And, first of all, the man in the basement, he was fucking terrifying. He looked monstrous. So scary. He looked like a zombie. His smile scared the shit out of me. Like, just imagining him running loose at this party was so funny. Especially because they didn't realize it till way after she got stabbed that, like, something was happening. Like, he was just... At one point, he was standing there as the party was going around him, and they had no clue that he was there. And I was... The stabbing of the sister, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then when he's trying to, like, put pressure, and she's like, just let go, it hurts. I go, uh-oh, she's a goner. You know, when you start not feeling pain after a while, like, or or, you know, like... Uh, that was crazy and then just him having a total pause of like everyone watching them to take that knife and like with intent and purpose stab him in the heart was like oh my god this is the yeah the dark side of this for sure yeah that flipped so quickly and it, it starts with you know oh what are we doing we're tying them up downstairs this is kind of on the edge what's our plan to the wife kicking the old housekeeper down the stairs and uh, eventually killing her, right? She hits her head, has a concussion. We assume she loses consciousness and dies because of that later on, because she can't see anymore. And it's just like a progression of, we got in so deep. What are we willing to do to keep this going? And then it just all blows up at once. Oh yeah. It was, it just, you know, even the end, like it's just so incredibly sad that they had kind of disrupted this, scheme right that the original housekeeper and her husband had where she was you know helping out this family but secretly like letting her husband hide out from his debt collectors right and live there essentially traumatized their kid right when he appears um and you know it just kind of was jarring to me that that these light moments and it just was so sad at the last like 10-15 minutes of of the sun, especially like the light. So of course in the movie, they talk about how they flicker the lights in and out. And that was how like they Morse code communicated. And it was the basement husband, like thanking Mr. You know, park for him staying there, even though he was doing it, hiding out. So I just found it to be just so incredibly sad that when, of course, in the end, Mr. Kim ends up hiding in the basement himself to kind of get away from what, you know, him getting, in trouble getting arrested going to jail and he lives in the basement he essentially takes on that life that the crazy guy you know ended up doing and so his son is watching him write this letter every night through morse code in the lights and it's just a sad letter about how he's grieving for his daughter of course and for you know like maybe i deserve to be here and and just like you know, his last kind of final words to his son, thinking that maybe I'll never see you again. Like, this is my life. And then the son saying like, someday I'll buy this house to get to you. And then you see this kind of fantasy ending where he does in fact get to the house and then they're reunited and that he is able to leave the basement finally. And I'm just thinking about the saddest fucking life of this man living in the basement of the Swedish people that move in. Right. And that his son has to save to get a house to get to his father who's hiding there. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy story. Well, and that sequence at the end was kind of a dream sequence, right? Because then it flashes back to him actually in the basement that they were living in before. But the dad, you know, when he was talking to the guy that was hanging down there for four years, he's like, how did you live like this? Like, 
And the guy goes, you know, after a while, it turns into your home. Like you become comfortable with it. It's just my new place of being. And him being on the opposite end of that and then being forced to go into that spot is such a full circle, like sad loop on this that it it was a good way to end the movie. It just it was very sad to watch. All right. I think that's a, that's a good ending point for the film Parasite, which definitely go see uh, available on Max. And I'm going to go ahead and go to the 1940s New York City to talk about The Godfather. Hey. All right, Kayla. One of the greatest movies of all time. No pressure here. Why don't you dive into The Godfather a little bit? I think I will. All right. So it came out. <laughs> there I it had, is. You had, I had to. to right? You had to do this it. Film. Uh, so this film came out in 1972. It was directed by the great Francis Ford Coppola. Um, written by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. It's based on the Godfather book, also written by Mario. So uh, Justin is doing his little uh, chin. I don't even know what you'd call it. A uh, Hand to chin move, as our great Marlon Brando did in the movie. Um, <laughs> stars, of course, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall, and Diane Keaton, who I did not realize that was the character K until after I watched the movie and looked it up. Same for me, Kayla. I looked up the IMDb and was like, holy shit, that was Diane it's, Keaton. It's kind of funny because you know some of these actors, like, I would say I know some of these actors in their current state, meaning, like, looking older and kind of like they're their films in the past few years. So seeing them like straight up coming out so young, they totally look completely different to me, especially Dan Keaton. So um, that was funny. Had a budget of six to 7 million and made about 250 to 291 million. So that's huge. And it's like estimates because, you know, at that time it wasn't as clear cut as it is now. That is for 1972 quick math here. The budget you said was six to seven. So in today's dollars, it's about seven times more. So that's like 40 to 50 million to make. And if it, they made 250, that means it's close to like 1.3 billion in today's dollars of gross revenue. So that is a massive movie. <laughs> Crazy is money is. is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, reception awards. I mean, it won a ton. It won for best picture, obviously. Uh, Marlon Brando won best actor and famously declined it. Uh, best adapted screenplay at the Academy Awards. Won best film music at the British Academy Awards and won a bunch at the Directors Guild of America Awards and the Golden Globe. So this was a celebrated film, um, even more so as the films kind of went on. But I mean, this was a huge hit massively. Some fun facts. I mean, I feel like a lot of the facts are, are familiar to Godfather fans or people that just kind of have a knowing history. Um, but there were a couple interesting things that I found, which was that Marlon Brando had a dentist make him a custom mouthpiece to create his sagging jowls to make Vito. He wanted him to kind of look like a bulldog. I always assumed he had something in his mouth, but I didn't realize that he had like a custom mouthpiece for it. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Uh, the mob and mafia aren't uttered in the movie at all. And this was after a meeting with the Italian American civil rights league, which was formed to combat the use of stereotypes about that group. So kind of as an agreement, he didn't have that uttered in the movie whatsoever, which I didn't realize until I read that. In fact, the closest it gets is a newspaper heading 
in the film that says mobster Barzini's question an unworld feud. That's it, but it's not uttered. I thought it was uttered in two, but maybe not. Maybe they just refer to it as like a criminal organization and they don't actually say mafia now that to be fair, I haven't watched two, so at least as far as this film. Um, it isn't mentioned, so we'll have to see if maybe that agreement went under uh, with the success of this film into the next. Um, I think this is pretty well understood that Marlon Brando used cue cards. I thought it was because he struggled with his lines, but it's actually because he believed it increased his spontaneity and made his lines less canned. So he actually did it as an actor choice, not because he had some sort of like memory issue, which is kind of what I thought it was. Or is that an actor trying to justify not being able to remember his lines, Kayla? Because he was pretty old in his career at this was point. Was he? I didn't look how old Marlon Brando was when he made The Godfather. Let me look that up. He was 47. So just saying. Are you, <laughs> you fucking You put him me? one foot in the grave. People age so different. <laughs> you put him one foot in the grave. People gr- age so differently but, now. Uh, yeah, he was 47, my guy, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, that this was a man that lived his life as, as a life could be lived, and that's putting it small. He also had a lot of tragedies in his life, so I'm sure all of that put a few gray hairs on his head. He had a wild lifestyle too, so you know who who's to say his, his body may be caught up more than than it was in time. He was only forty seven. That is staggering that he was only that old. I just I know people age differently now than they did back then, but just I I thought at least sixties. Oh wow. <laughs> well, my bad. Yeah, I'm sorry, Marlon Brando's ghost. Um, yeah, okay. Um, Letty Montana, who played Luca Brasi, was a professional wrestler before he became an actor. And that's important because he was so nervous delivering his lines in front of Marlon Brando that he had like no good takes and ruined the whole day. So because he didn't have enough enough time to reshoot, Coppola added a new scene of him rehearsing his lines before seeing The Godfather. So it seemed like he was just nervous. So that was actually like the takes that he used was actually him being nervous as an actor to do it. That is such a great pivot by Coppola there being like, you know, let's just turn this into like this guy is so nervous to talk to the Godfather that he's like messing his lines up. Because that scene, I was like, wow, this guy is really terrified to talk to him, which also gives it a little gravitas of like he's such a big deal that this big mobster they're talking about at the table is afraid to talk to him. So I think it actually added a little bit to the film. Good move. Oh, yeah. It was so funny to me because I'm like, oh, wow, that totally, you know, made so much sense, especially when you're starting to kind of understand the weight of Vito and this family, like the power that he holds in this wedding scene. So I thought that was pretty good. I mean, last part was just Coppola's smart idea to have have, uh, improvised moments at like a dinner. So he would often have the actors sit at a dinner table and act as their characters because he wanted that sense of family to be more organic. And uh, I thought that was true because it definitely seemed like they all grew up around each other. And like, it was really cool to see kind of the family dynamics. Right. But at the same time, if you betray someone, they're just going to shoot you. So it's always with the threat of like the same people you share bread with, like also could kill you or you could kill them, you know, with the right motivation. So I thought that was really well done. I think I'm ready for my plotline description. There was a lot in this film, that's for sure. All right, Kayla, you ready? Three, two, one. 
1945, New York City Corleone family with head Don Vito takes requests during his daughter Connie's wedding to call you meet his youngest son, Michael. Marina hates his family visit with his mom and has an annoying girlfriend named Kay. Johnny Fontaine is a singer that's Vito would be in a movie. Vito says it's constantly their job to restrain the street president complying. When he refuses, he put his prized horse out of his bed. A drug baron solos asks Vito to invest in his narcotics business. Vito says the force of spine, he gets killed. Then Solazzo has a hit on Vito, who's hospitalized. His son, Sonny, is head of the family. And Michael gets in the family business after his father is shot. They try to kill Vito in the hospital. Michael saves him and then gets stopped by a police captain who then he shoots in a restaurant along with Solazzo for a rent. That goes to Italy to get a child bride who gets blown up. Sonny has gone down and told to trying to save Connie from a recent house in Carlo. Then he comes back years later and asks Kay to marry him. And she does. Vito was grieving, meets with the five families that orders the truth. Michael leaves in a full villain mode and plots revenge. Sees his brother Fred is more loyal to others. And then when Vito dies, he gets revenge by ordering different than some heads of the families, but she swears he would direct the devil at his niece's christening. 50 seconds, Kayla. Well oh. done. Uh, I feel like you skipped over quite a bit of stuff there, but... Could you tell what I skipped over? <laughs> uh, only bits that... and pieces. <laughs> okay. um, so much death. My, yeah, so much, a lot of death. A lot of cartoonish death. Um, my first few thoughts, unsurprisingly, The Godfather rocks. What can I say? Hot take. The Godfather is a really good movie, Kayla. I, I don't <laughs> think the people know this, but The Godfather actually slams. It's a great movie. Um... I found so many parts like to be really intense and I'll go into that in a second, but some were just like so funny, but like not in a, like I'm laughing at the, the hilarity of the scene, but just like how shit can turn so quickly. I got to say something like more comical parts, like as far as like how the movies aged is when Sonny is chasing down Carlo for the first time after he finds out that he was abusing Connie Oh, that fight scene. They're fighting. <laughs> I actually re like I had to rewind it because you see that Sonny punches the air in front of him. I mean, I'm telling you like very a foot. clearly, yes, not contacting him whatsoever. And then Carlo just acts like he just got sucker punched. It made me laugh so hard because it's some of the fakest fight scenes. And then he bites his knuckles, which is a great <laughs> thing. He just like bites his knuckles when he's on the ground. I'm like, okay. I guess that's a move. It it was pretty funny to me. Um, there were a couple scenes that really shocked me in this movie. Somehow I had not really gotten spoiled on this film. So a lot of it I was taking in for the first time. Uh, even even Michael kind of reminded me of the actor who plays in A Werewolf in London. And I didn't realize, I mentioned this to you, that I didn't realize it was Al Pacino um, for the first That is staggering. Of the movie. Yeah. he's just so young he was very good looking i'll tell you that and uh i just i didn't i think of him as al pacino now not like the heat like i'm not thinking of al pacino young i guess a young stud in this movie so yeah he ages in a in a weird way and then when you watch two you have young robert de niro who's also quite the attractive fellow so you got young him young pacino just a loaded cast across these godfather movies Oh, for sure. For sure. I also found it uh pretty amusing, like the, the gunning down shots too, right? It's funny seeing like the old what you would you'd associate with like the mobster semi, right? The huge like round casing kind of attached to it. I mean, when so two scenes, when Sonny's gunned down at the toll booth, I was shocked. And then I was just like, Oh my god, because they didn't just like <laughs> I mean, the fact that he was still able to like crawl out of the car and stagger a couple feet was somehow miraculous because the dude took like fifty shots to his body. And that was a cartoonish like, death. He's like, they, like but bouncing like he somehow still moving, and I'm like, What is your move, my god? And here's the thing, he saw them. 
and he froze. He should have gone the car forward and he didn't. Like he just he had a little bit of like a couple seconds of like oh shit, it's going down. But like they even kick his face. I felt bad for Sonny who was just trying to help his sister and uh, you know. How did the bodyguards who appeared to be about 10 seconds behind him take about 5 minutes to get there? What they drive down a wrong road or something? They knew where he was going, right? They knew where he was going, but, like, he was supposed to be in such a flurry of anger that, like, he was just, I think he was just driving, like, probably, like, an insane person. And they realized they had to maybe toe the line a little bit more than his erratic driving. I mean, he was, like, going, like, a bed out of hell out of that house. So, um, question, is Sonny a better brother than Michael in this film? Better brother? Uh, yeah. That's a difficult question. If you're looking at just purely brother I think yes, because he's like, I'm going to beat the shit out of somebody who touches my sister. And Michael, his whole thing is that he's the opposite of Sonny, right? Sonny is like this rash. I'm going to take violence against this person. And Michael's much more of keep your enemies closer, slow play it, get all the information and then take them all down at once. That's kind of his MO. So, but if you're Connie, you want Sonny, right? Sonny's going to come defend you whenever you need. And Michael, you, you'll see in like two, they have a, a kind of a weirder relationship. So, I mean, I feel like Michael could have got the edge up if he actually followed through on what he promised Carlo, which is like, you're out of the family business for betraying me. Like, he didn't even mention, like, I don't even know that he was aware of what was happening with Connie. I don't know if that stopped. I don't know if, you know what that kind of dynamic was with them because at first it was true but then the second time i don't know if he just abused her to get sonny to go where he goes because that's what i assume he was like that was part of the plan and i presume she didn't call knowing that he was gonna get gunned down so he actually hit her again to try to get sonny to them so and then michael i mean but again he doesn't end up doing that he says he's going to like send him off to vegas and then still kills him so it was almost like the slow pain of like i'm going to make you think i'm gonna let you live just to kill you in the car uh rough beat for for carlo i i suppose um but yeah if you're getting into a car and somebody's in the back seat uh yeah you're dead as soon as like he's in the back seat and he says something, I'm like, oh shit! It just so funny to me that he went through all the trouble of having that discussion of him getting downgraded in the family just to have him killed, anyways. Well, he was trying to get him to like give up to confirm his suspicions that it was uh, Barzini that was setting everything up and not what, what's the other guy Tatalia, because everybody thought it was Tatalia because they refused something, but Vito kept kind of telling Michael, I think it's Barzini. And I, after the meeting with the five families, I'm more convinced it's Barzini. So having that confirmation from Carla before killing him kind of just set the rest of his plan in motion, I think. Yeah. And then he couldn't, obviously like it led to his brother getting killed. So he couldn't let it go. It's just like, it was so purely because of what he did to the family and not whatsoever about Connie's relationship. Like I truly think when she like loses it at the end, and she knows what he, I mean. She she knows what her family does. So I mean, Connie also is an innocent in this. She like knows what her family's about. And even her like, she's just about the money, you know. Like she just is. She's very like, you know, she's in a bad situation, and you know, tries to help Kay. Tries to be like, look at your husband. And Kay's like, no, 
the one I mean. He's like, you could ask me one time. I mean, Michael. So Michael at the beginning, I'm like, okay, he's interesting. Like he's not involved in the family. He's trying to like branch out. He's so easily pulled into the family. Like as far as like easily, it took not much. Yes, well, I say easily. Yeah, he. I do like that. There is a little bit of a push at the beginning where he's like, "That's not me, Kay. I'm not like that." But also, I'm gonna tell you this girl that I don't know how long they've been dating or whatever at that point. That my father basically threatened to shoot somebody in the head unless he gave Johnny uh, Fontaine his big break. Let me just tell you that at this wedding, no worries. But I'm not that guy. And then, well, once your father gets shot, right? I think it's a hit taken out on your father on veto. He's like, shit, I need to prove my worth to the family, but they make fun of him for it too. Like Sonny goes, Oh, Mr. College is going to come in here and shoot somebody up close. Like you're not a mile away. Like in the, in the army, like you actually got to be up there and bada bang, shoot him in the face. Uh, that was my terrible Italian uh, uh, accent. Uh oh. <laughs> um. Yeah, but what you're saying doesn't have anything to do with Michael's reluctance to do it. That was him saying, like, yeah, no, I want to kill them. Like Michael Switch again. He's telling this story about how his father threatens murder. He has to know his father has contributed to murders, if not himself. I mean, he seems to be aware of like what his family kind of is. His father gets shot. Now, if, if I know my father's in this business of this, like that just seems all but inevitable that something like this would happen. So for him to just kind of jump in like, oh, my dad actually got shot for the crimes that he does. I need revenge on this. Like, I just felt like he just needed like, like secretly he wanted to be a part of it. And this was like his excuse to do so. I also think with how much of a wild card Sonny is, he felt compelled to go into kind of tamper that down so it didn't turn into just a massive bloodbath so maybe that's how it got like him in the door and then you are right it was pretty quick for him to just be like oh i'll offer to shoot the uh police captain in the head or whatever it did uh it it was a quicker turnaround as you're laying it out that i originally thought when i watched the movie I think to make himself feel separate because he was kind of like down the family line with Sonny there. Like he had to be like the black sheep, like, Oh, I'm trying to be good. I'm like this war hero. Black, I'm I mean, to like Fredo's the biggest black sheep in the history of movies. What What do you mean? Kayla? He is it, just, terrible. it really took me a moment to, to realize he was another son because of how he's kind of treated and like the position that he has. <laughs> yeah. Middle kid syndrome. Um, which was very amusing to me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, and he's just like a comedic character because Sonny, he played like, John can't play him so like serious. Like he's just so like, you know, like this is the plan. I kind of wish there was, it's a funny, like how quickly I was rooting for this family, like the Corleone family. Like I was just like, I was team Vito. Like I almost was like, he seems like an honorable mobster for some reason. But Michael, I, the whole time I go, I, I, he like is straight up villain. Like I almost somehow appreciate Vito more than Michael. And I don't know what sense that was. I was getting, maybe I knew like his villain arc was forming, but I just like, he just, even the end, like how he is with Kay, like when he's like, you can ask me one time and I go, it'd be pretty baller. If he's like, yeah, I did it. Like this is all meant to it. This one time, if you keep asking me, I'm not going to like, we're not going to have this discussion, but he lies to her. And it's just so easy how he manipulates and like what he did to Carlo, like, and how he just like get the doctor for his sister, like gaslighting. Like it just, 
he oh my god i i just i mean was so well played love the character michael but i i hate him like i could not i do not root for him yeah i think that the difference is at least this version of veto we're seeing is much more i'm going to tell it to you straight i've built up this reputation like i have this gravitas towards me that's the second time i said that in this podcast by the way so there you go for gravitas that was on your bingo board for this pod where he feels like he can be straight up and he has enough respect that people aren't going to go for him. So he doesn't like beat around the bush. He's not doing these kind of lying to your face, going behind your back. He's going to tell you to your face and stab you in the front. Like that's why he has the meeting with the five families with the infamous uh, monologue of, Oh, Hey, if anything happens to my son, if he has a heart attack, if he gets gunned down by lightning, if he, hangs himself in his jail cell i am going to assume one of you had something to do with it and then this friendship is over it's much more direct and michael is much more laid back calculated but also lies straight to your face in order to manipulate you down the line yeah i think that's right like because Vito, his son is i mean i'm telling you brutally murdered and the whole time i go they fucking hate sunny with how brutally they are like putting bullets into his body and kicking his dead face um and he still is like let's get the families together let's have a truce like his ability to do that and and if anything the heads were like listen when Vito like says something like that's his word so he didn't get to this ripe old age of 47 by not, you know, that being true. Obviously they've known him for this long. So, but Michael, I mean, that end scene is the best scene to me of the movie. Like the juxtaposition, uh, maybe it's the, the, the Catholicism in me, but just like the scene of him, the montage saying, scene you're talking about. Yeah. So the christening, yeah. like just him saying the words, like, Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I reject the devil. And like, meanwhile, he's ordered all of these hits across the city on all of these heads of the family that he that he was going to meet with. It's just so. And what his father had agreed to, but now he's totally taken his own. This is now his era, right? Is so. I mean, beautiful. Uh, the way it's filmed is so beautiful. Now the murders are pretty funny, but the just like him being like, "I reject the devil," and literally he is the devil in that moment, you know. After telling Kay, I'm trying to, I'm going to make this a legitimate family business within the next five years. When he's really ordered a whole bunch of hits to happen in parallel, while he is becoming, like it's not <laughs> unintentional that he's becoming a godfather while he is ordering all these hits at the same time. Like that is very much intentional and such a cool way that they shot it. Just great montage scene. One of the best that I can remember because you have inklings of, okay, he knows what's going on. He seems smart. He's playing them. He's not always telling people the truth, but you don't know exactly how much he knows until that montage kicks off and he's got it all dialed in and everybody is out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just like, I mean, obviously this movie is the movie that they show in film school. It's it's so many people are quoting it, right? Leave the gun, take the cannoli. I mean, there's just so many lines. There's so many people. Try- I mean, I found myself halfway through the movie making my attempt at a veto Corleone. You know, it just, it, I get it. I totally get why you, you say these lines and why this movie is just held up to such a, 
a high pedestal. You know what I mean? It's it's it was a great film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like sure, there were some parts. The weird him getting a child bride in Italy was pretty sketchy. Um, that whole the Italy excursion, he had to get away so that he wouldn't get gunned down or implicated in anything. I think that was a little bit too long for me. And it's like, okay, he goes to Italy. He's with these other families. It seems like it'd be pretty easy to track him down if they had some type of uh, relationship with Vito. Mary's Apollonia, who is 16 when she uh, filmed this movie, which is uh, a little sketchy there. I think Michael just loves getting married. He just loves marrying people. He just goes to Italy. I don't know how long he's there. Maybe a, a few weeks, maybe a few months. Who knows? And he goes, oh, hey, I want to marry your daughter. Okay, yeah, cool. No problem. All right, yeah, she's murdered. Okay, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go to the ex that I just left on red and haven't reached out to in, at this point, probably about two years. Show up at her work and be like, hey, get in the car. Let's get married. And she's like, no, Michael, how dare you? I haven't heard from you. Just get in the car and we'll get married. Okay. And then they just drive off. Like, that... The relationship with Kay is a little weird. I know she's kind of like infatuated with him, but what is the purpose of having Apollonia in Italy besides to show somebody has found him and he needs to go back to New York? That's like the only purpose of, hey, they found you here. They tried to kill you. It's now, quote unquote, safe for you to go back to New York because they already know where you are. I mean, I haven't read, like, I'm sure there's 80 gazillion think pieces on The Godfather, and maybe Francis Ford Coppola has talked at length about all this stuff. But at this point, Michael's already killed, right? Had the, like, very public murder, um, double homicide. He's he's fleed to, to, to Italy. To me, it was about the innocence of her, of Apolline, and, like, literally, I mean, both Apollonia. the purity of it. Apollonia, thank you. Of uh, taking her innocence right, her virginity. I think it was, like, the the innocent. Like, him telling the father, who's like, no way. Like, no, absolutely, whether you're going to be dead, she's going to have a dead father, or she's going to get a husband. That's how this is going to go. I mean, that was, like, chilling, that discussion he has with him. And so, like, that was, like, a total power play to me. And he's like, I get what I want. Like, she's beautiful. She's, and then he, what, corrupts her. And then she ends up dying. And I see that I was like, I was like, okay, they're going to go back to New York City. And, you know, like, she, I go, her life's ruined because Michael's going to be a total asshole. And then she gets blown up in Italy. And I go, oh, shit, this movie's really surprising me. See, I was kind of taking it when he was in Italy with her. He was kind of like, maybe I can have a life outside of like the family business. Maybe I can enjoy a life here with somebody who doesn't have ties, who is innocent and naive to our dealings. And and then that all just gets shattered when the car blows up and he's like, well, I guess that's not going to happen. So see ya. But yeah, I guess you can take it multiple ways because that is the the second turn. The first turn is him being like, I'm going to go shoot this guy and and you see in the uh, at Louis at the, the spot where he finds the gun, he legitimately looks terrified. His eyes are kind of like going back and forth. He doesn't know what to do. He feels uncomfortable with the gun in his hand. It's not something he wants to do. It seems like something he needs to do. And then as the movie progresses and he comes back from Italy, he's got much more confidence in that type of role where he's like, screw this. I'm taking this head on. I don't need to be a, you know, a secondary person anymore. 
See, I think that transition happened exactly where you said in the bathroom because he, they tell him, right? The plan is when he comes out of the bathroom to start shooting. So he's supposed to shoot that right out of the door of the That's bathroom. True. I know, totally was like really in tune with the fact that he took the gun, sat at the table, had more words with them, looked them in the eyes, was this close to them and shot them both in succession right next to them that was like again another fucking layer the distance between them takes you a little bit further out of it right you're just you're just shooting bam 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 but to to sit down to share words with them and then look them in the eye and fucking kill them i mean that was like holy this is another like he's in it like that transition in the bathroom was like let's fucking go and then yeah that's a good point yeah, he's yeah, like, I, I need like... to look them in their eyes before I do this. And, like, I know they're comfortable based on what we've been talking about. They're not suspicious anymore, and this is the time I'm just going to take them out. That's a good point, Kayla. Yeah, yeah. It was just – it's just – I love that because I love seeing the the journey of Michael. But, I mean, again, at that at that end scene when Kay is, believes him, you know, stupidly, and then she walks out of the doors and sees – family members kiss the ring i mean that was just so like i mean she's i think she's realizing i have not watched part two yet but like i think at that moment she's realized like yeah he fucking lied to me or there's more to the story i would hope but um yeah that was just that that was a great ending scene so i was really happy like the perfect ending scene of you have your family and then you have the family and once you close those doors he's the godfather and that's all that matters, and that's the business. We have I, the family. I like that. Hey, what can I say? Make me a marketing <laughs> uh, mogul here. Who yeah, knows? <laughs> <that's> great. <laughs> yeah, just it was. It was truly like overall a great film. I'm looking forward to watching part two. I hear that's even better. I hear part three lost its mojo, but I'm excited to watch all of them. So I watched part two. Uh, pretty much not right after part one. I started it right after, but it took a couple days for me to get through just with everything else going on. It's about three and a half hours. Uh, so part one is three hours. Part two is about three and a half. They do go pretty quickly, though. It's not like you feel like you're sitting there for eight hours. There's some slow spots here and there, but both phenomenal films. I have not watched three yet because I've heard so many terrible things about three. I will have to at some point, but you know, probably give me a little bit of a break from Godfather here. I do have uh, one other thing that I noted down here that the authenticity of some of these scenes was really helped when they just have random scenes with babies crying their heads off. Those were so real. Like you feel like you're in like a real person's house. The kids screaming, people are talking, they're trying to make the food or the sauce and everybody's shouting. And then the kids screaming at the top of their lungs. Somebody's trying to answer the phone. Like, you're just so immersed in that house, in that kitchen at that moment. It, like, gives it such more of a, a real natural feel to it. Actually, that's a good that's a good kind of end of this because I thought that, too. I mean, I come from a large Italian family. My nan had 10 kids. I have a lot of cousins. I have a lot of aunts and uncles. And so, like, I definitely experienced that as a kid when my nana would have these kind of big dinners. And it was just a bunch of people at the house. It was a lot of food. It was a lot of noise. Still to this day, we have family get together. There's everyone yelling kind of over each other. It's kind of like how you're heard, you know? And so I, I enjoyed like the Italian Americanness of it. And also like how easily they were able to return back to Italy. Like 
I, I don't know if like most of them were first generation or like I, again not seeing part two which I think goes back like seeing how far apart they are you know Michael is because they just so seamlessly seem to fit Vito in was when first they generation Italian American okay. and Michael was was born in America yeah okay so that you know they all speak Italian they spend time in Italy often people are constantly coming in back and forth to be with the family and go back so. Um, I enjoyed that like cultural aspect of it, you know, so. Yeah, that those scenes we were just talking about, it's so reminiscent of the bear, the fishes episode, right? Where it's the big Italian family, they're all shouting and it, it's just, uh, I love those scenes in movies because you can relate. It's like, I've been in a situation similar to this before in my own family. It's not all buttoned up for the cameras, you know? Thankfully, hopefully no one uh, has driven a car through our houses on like that episode of the bear. So <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the uh, Corleones to do so, though. So be ready. No, absolutely not. And with machine guns in hand. Um, all right. So what films this year do you think are in the running for best picture? For best picture this year, I think you're going to have Oppenheimer without a doubt. You're going to have Killers of the Flower Moon, I think, without a doubt, which is coming out here shortly. Everybody's been talking about Past Lives, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet. So that'll probably be in the conversation. And then I've heard mixed things, but Maestro is a Martin Scorsese Bradley Cooper vehicle. Just that alone seems like it will be in the race. And I did love Tar, and this is another conductor-composer type of story with Bradley Cooper. So I'm intrigued to watch that. Yeah. Stress is for your, your tar definitely that you're rooting for here. And I also love tar. It was just very, it was a very intense film. Um, obviously it's fast X. I mean, clearly that is <laughs> number one. <laughs> yeah. Kayla, and then Robert that will Robert. get nominated for maybe the, uh, what's the bad movie awards. Oh, oh the, the Saturns or the, Oh, not the Saturn. Rizzy? I don't know. Man, we're we're dropping. Razzles. Razzles. Razzies? (laughs) Razzies. We're figuring it out, guys. All right. We're figuring out it live. Should I leave this all in the podcast? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, that's the joke of it all. Um, Yeah. So I think uh, Past Lives, like you said, that's a movie I've been hunting for forever. It's on video on demand. So maybe we can both watch it and and see what we think. Because it really sounds like that's a strong contender. For this year poor dune 2 getting pushed back to next year very upsetting looking forward to that um uh, and i hear we need great to things that immediately when it comes out kayla oh yeah my yeah. hope is that they reshow dune 1 in theaters or like in between the release so that we could watch it um uh, but yeah i hear great things about past lives flowers of the killer moon i mean obviously killers of the flower moon i mean obviously that's going to be phenomenal it seems like that's going to be, be another uh three and a half hour one Kayla. And I've heard some interviews with the, uh, the writer of the the book that it's based off of. And it sounds like a very serious, like important movie to put out there, the story that they're telling. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see, see that one in theaters. And hopefully, you know, it's a, it's a quick three and a half hours. <laughs> aren't they always, aren't they always Justin? <laughs> All right, good stuff. How about we rate our films here? So let's start with Parasite. How many uh, VHS tapes did you give Parasite? Parasite, 
I was difficult. I was going back and forth between two numbers, and I'm going to land on four and a half out of five stars. Okay. I was between four and a half and five. There were just those couple things that I wanted slightly more to, to bump it up to a five, but like I said, absolutely phenomenal film. I actually gave it the same score. It was four and a half VHS tapes for me. It was an utter delight. And honestly, when I rate these films, I'm often like, did it deliver on what I thought it was going to? And it absolutely did. It was just, yeah, phenomenal film. All right. So The Godfather, this is difficult. What do you think, Justin? Five. Five. Five out of five. Giving it a five. Yeah. This was... uh... 1970s expectations going and watching a 50 year old movie at this point knowing the history of it it's like a lot of expectations but also i'm like it's the 70s so i need to be prepared for some of these you know like the fight scene where he misses them by a foot because they can't just enhance that later on so i was mentally in a spot for this and absolutely loved it i mean not surprising the godfather is really good I was enthralled the whole movie. I was wondering where it was going. I was trying to figure out who was behind everything. I liked the kind of the process of uh, losing Sonny, Fredo being a lunatic, the young sibling kind of rising up the ranks to be the next godfather. I just really had a good time watching it. But it seems like you uh, are not quite as high, huh, Kayla? I'm not quite a five VHS tapes for me. Maybe I'm going to save that to see if the godfather 2 did that for me. But for me, it's four and a half. I, I see okay. things like Parasite. There were a couple of things that I was like, uh, okay, this is a little goofy to me. Um, but yeah, no, it was a phenomenal film. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed beginning to end and like that ending really, I think, cinched it for me. Like just that, that christening moment was so beautiful. So yeah. Yeah. I was the whole movie. I was, uh, you kind of think about it while you're watching these ratings are so, they seem so easy. They're much more difficult when you actually care about them. And I was like, I'll be t- probably a four and a half. And then having the montage and then that ending scene with the door closing just bumped it up to a five for me. So good. So this might be the highest ratings we've ever given for both films on one of these movie review podcasts, Kayla. I think also like the most ce- like very celebrated films too as well. So we, we definitely aren't alone in that. Thank you for not giving me a 1924 black and white musical, Kayla. I was tempted to uh for sure this would have been my time to shine uh, starting in the 30s um but no i was i was kind to the both of us um all right so it's my pick next we are not in person right now so i'll pick it at a later time we will announce it let's go ahead and get to our swirly of the week all right so my swirly of the week this week is i don't i i I'm trying to remember what they're called, but have you seen these essentially moving straps where it's supposed to help you lift like a fridge, a washing machine where they go over your shoulders, they go over your shoulders, kind of like an X kind of style. Right. And then you have a long strap between you and another person who's also wearing it. Essentially you are tied together. So my little sister got her first apartment and we moved her in yesterday it was just truly me and my parents. So it was it was a rough move because she's on the third floor of where she lives. And uh, brutal to say the least. Brutal. But we had some heavy items. We had some dressers. We had just a bunch of kind of random furniture pieces that were like, good God, going up each flight of these stairs is going to be rough. So I was like, let's try these straps that my parents had and weren't able to figure out. So my dad and I were trying to use it. 
And so the way that the strap works that it needs pressure, meaning like it needs something heavy on it in order for the straps to stay where they are. Like they don't slip out of the cord essentially. Yeah. When we were climbing this, now we had a heavy dresser. We, we tried something light so we didn't die if this didn't work out. Smart <laughs> So it wasn't crushed and it was fine. So we're like, let's try something heavy. Uh, because my sister had this really old dresser that I thought weighed a thousand pounds. You know that feeling because you also have moved me out with a heavy dresser. Yes, I'm familiar, <laughs> Kayla. So we're like, okay, let's take the next step up. And essentially what happened is as someone was climbing the stairs, the weight of it changed, right? Because it wasn't as much pressure on the top person going backwards. There's some like so slack started, there. Yeah. It started to unravel and it was like a real time like – you step, I step, so that the weight stayed on the strap. So it stayed, and it was like a perilous climb of these three to go. Is this dresser going to crush me? Is this how I go out? Because I do not trust my dad's speed to to somehow grab this dresser. Though my dad is very strong. Oh, Rich um, got like, you. He he would have saved yeah. you. It would have been good. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, my dad has the natural instinct somehow while being in the military. Still, if something like jumps out, he immediately pushes you into danger. But my dad doesn't <laughs> have that thing where he's like grabs his daughter to safety. Like one time we were doing throws a walk you into like, the fray. One time we were doing a we were a walk and there was a snake in the pathway, and my dad literally pushed me towards the snake. <laughs> like, that's so great. Like that's his like instinct. So all right, shout out to you, dad. Um, so I go, all right, this is the dresser that kills me. Um, it just, it just was so amusing. I mean, we had good intentions of it working and in some ways it did, but like it, we were on death's door at any moment. So that's my swirly. My swirly of the week can go to about 12 different, uh, people or entities, but I'm going to give it to AAA. Everybody is familiar with AAA. Your car breaks down call AAA. If you have it, they can come and give you a tow, replace a tire or whatever. So, uh, my wife and I were sitting home going to have a nice relaxing, uh, Friday night, we were going to have some friends over for a hot tub, a little wine action. I was on the Peloton, and she gets a call. Like, somebody uh, got a flat tire. They have a spare, but they don't have, like, the jack and the tools. If we can come by to help or call AAAs. Whatever. No big deal. Go over there. Change a tire. It'll take 10, 15 minutes. We'll be good to go. We get there. The tire's a little beat up, completely flat, and I just cannot loosen these lug nuts at all they are like on as tight as they possibly humanly could be so we get the jack we start jacking it up and i'm like maybe it can get some more leverage the jack gets up to a certain point and then the car starts kind of like tilting forward slightly so the jack then loses its stability because it's these little jacks that are in the the trunk of your car it's not like a, a heavy duty one so I'm like, what the hell? Like, we can't figure anything out. We set it back down and we're trying to just loosen the lug nuts with all of our force and just nothing is working. So we have to call AAA. My wife calls AAA and they're like, it's a two to three hour wait. We're like, we have a spare. Like, we literally just need you to take off this other tire. And they're just like, yeah, it's a two to three hour wait. Like, are you fucking kidding me? So We've used it before. Like, ah, sometimes they say a longer time. Usually it's a half hour, maybe an hour. We were waiting at the mobile gas station near the, the mall for over three hours until they show up. It took them three and a half hours to show up. They get there. It's a 10-minute job. And we find out that they put the lug nuts on because they just got this tire replaced earlier that day, apparently. And they put it on with the impact uh, 
driver. So it was just as tight as humanly possible. So when the guy came with AAA, he had the extender to try to loosen them. And then he had the actual impact gun to loosen them up, to get them off. So I felt less emasculated when he had the proper tools to get them off than I did before, where I was like, I need to get this tire fucking off this car and could not do it. So just all around a massive swirly, Kayla, just for everybody involved. Wow, what a true journey that you're went on. And and props to you guys as friends to wait it out with, with the person. Um, and uh, so I watched uh, the last 30 minutes of Parasite on my phone in the car while we were waiting for AAA. So not the ideal setting um, as my wife is trying to show me funny memes. And I'm like, I'm kind of in a very important moment of the movie where everybody's killing people. <laughs> and I didn't know this was happening. So there was that. And then we... After we waited a little while, we're like, let's just order some food or pick it up. We can eat it here or we'll get a notification when they're on their way. So let's just go to a place nearby. But by that point, it was like nine o'clock. Everything was closed down. We're like, oh, we can order from here. They're no longer taking to-go orders. So uh, we got a uh, we got a beer and a bag of Doritos from the mobile gas station. And that's what we had in our car. So there you go. That was our dinner. That and the American dinner, you know, beer and a bag of Doritos. <laughs> yep. Who, who hasn't been there before? That's great. Um. All right. Let's get to our friendship question of the week, which is both of our movies have similar themes. I know it's hard to imagine, but it's family and it's murder. But specifically family, what are your favorite movies about family? Family, family, or found family? Both. Both? Depends on how you see it. So this might be too on the nose, but Goodfellas, after talking about The Godfather, I mean, that's got the killing. It's got the family. Like, you're right up there. I would consider kind of Sandlot, like a friend. Uh, I guess that'd be more friends as opposed to found family, right? Because like that and the Mighty Ducks, I was thinking. But no, you're not You're not giving it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But yeah, no, I would say that's more like. Yeah, I wouldn't get okay, that. Okay, and Kayla's not fast and furious, right, Kayla? Again, you just constantly show that you are a family friend in the saga. <laughs> Someday you'll be part of the family, but you're not there yet. Yeah, of course, the best family example is going to be Fast and Furious. It's all about familia, okay? But I also like Little Women. That's a great movie. I like the more recent one. You could argue Everything Everywhere All at Once is a great family film as well. Um, oh that's a good one that's a good one i love this movie stepmom it's the movie i watch definitely when i need to cry but it's so good like julia roberts is so good in this movie that's a that's a what early 90s one late 80s early 90s yeah forever in my mind because my sister was a baby and i went to see it with her and my mom and my mom left me uh at seven in the theater while she tended to my crying sister outside of the theater (laughs) so (laughs) i'm sure that's a trauma memory of why i love stepmom but there it is and hook I do love Hook. Hook was the other one that I had on my list. So <laughs> a there Hook you go. fan here. We will have to talk about Hook at some point on the pod. Okay, great movies. Um, so yeah, check out Parasite. Check out Godfather One if you haven't already. Like us. And be- before we go, Kayla. Yep. If you are in our age range and you haven't seen Godfather. Let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram, our email, whatever, because we are feeling like outcast here that we are in our 30s and we have not fully watched The Godfather straight through until this week. So we want to know we're not alone. Where's the support (laughs) of the Woo fans out there for us? Let, Let us know, Woo fans. Let us know. All right. See you next week. Well, 
that's it for this episode of Wrong Opinions Only. Please follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints to upcoming episodes. Until then, JK out.